Christian Gospel with Dr. Halissa Elwine. Join us around our Shabbat dining table as we explore the Torah portion. The Revenge of the Hen. <laughs> it's been a while since I did a crazy title, right? This is actually to kind of wrap up the last couple of weeks, which was no place for chickens. <laughs> no place for chickens. The temple was no place for chickens. You, you definitely could not have chickens on the temple mount, which the, the theme of the last couple of weeks has been prayer. Picking apart the word lehit palel, the verb lehit palel, which means to pray. And it's not the only verb that means to pray, but there was some aspects of it that I hadn't really heard anyone teach about before. And I thought, well, that, that would be helpful, at least for me, because sometimes I'm not sure that I'm praying properly. And we know that we have the Holy Spirit to help us when we pray, but we also know that it's possible to become a better prayer. That's why we're supposed to call for the elder men, the elder women of our congregation, because they can pray not just fervent prayers, but they can pray effectual ones. The most effectual prayers are going to be those that are prayed according to his word, not according to I think I feel I want. I think I feel I want will change tomorrow, but his word never does. And so sometimes we feel like the prayers aren't being answered, but actually they are. Because you're not praying according to his will and his word. You're praying according to, I think, I feel, I want. Or you already have a preconceived idea of how this prayer is going to be answered. Or how fast. Or along what route. You have it mapped out in your head. And it's only going to be a real answer if it's if it's done exactly that way. But looking back on your life, didn't he take you on some routes that you really didn't anticipate? And maybe you wouldn't have chosen for yourself. But in hindsight, you're like, I am so glad he took me that way because I would have been an arrogant, I don't know what the word is. Uh, I would have been unbearable to be around, uh, least of all the one who made me, because he did not make us to be arrogant and proud of ourselves. So he finds those routes that will humble us without breaking us. The problem is sometimes we think he's breaking. <laughs> just, this is just breaking me. I don't see any good in this. But when we get on the other side, we can look back and say, yeah, there was some good there. I, I'm beginning to see the plan. I don't see the whole thing, but I see that he had to take me that way. And so, you know, one of the big things with Yeshua is he viewed the temple as a house. He was in the house for his father's business at about the age of 12. He referred to it as the father's house. And we know when he overturned the money changers tables, he reminded them that this was supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, all nations. But we know the house of prayer is no place for chickens. We can't be a chicken when we pray. So sometimes the impediment is we don't really understand what we're supposed to be doing when we pray. And when we broke apart that Hebrew word, lehit palel, we saw palal, the, rush, the shoresh of it, the root of it was palal. And it doesn't just mean judgment. We looked at a scripture where Israel Jacob, he sees Joseph for the first time after how many years? 17 years. And the English translation, it says, I didn't imagine that I would see your face. But it's the exact same verb where Abraham is told to pray for Avimelech. So is it imagine or is it pray? Yeah, 
Yeah, because there's an element of that word that means you plan. When you're praying, you're planning for the outcome. If you didn't want that outcome, then you wouldn't plan for it. And so faith factors in there. We want to build our faith. Well, the only way to build our faith is to build ourselves up in the word, which will allow us to see that outcome. And if you can't see that outcome, then you might have a missing ingredient there, which is the word, which is his will. So there's work to be done in prayer. And part of that work is you have to use your imagination. How many of you have ever prayed for something and it was just hard to even imagine it being answered? (laughs) You know, it, it felt like things had fallen to the bottom on that issue so far that even heaven itself couldn't rescue it. And that's why the 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 house of prayer is no place for chickens. If you can't imagine your prayer being answered, why are you praying? You have to be able to imagine. It's like Israel said, I couldn't even imagine seeing your face again. Why not? Weren't there prophecies? Weren't there promises? Weren't there dreams? Weren't there visions? Weren't there angels? Weren't there all these things back in the past he could have pulled upon to at least try to imagine seeing his son's face again? So that's what we have to do in prayer. We don't just pray the words. At the very same time, we have to envision the positive outcome to this prayer, no matter how hopeless it looks. And so if that applied to Israel in the time of Yeshua, that it's going to be a house of prayer, and then he says it's going to be for all nations too, even the nations coming in cannot afford to be chickens in the house of prayer. We have to plan for a good outcome. That's what I said last week. I said, look, just plan. If you've got children who aren't saved, or you have children who have departed, and they're not walking in the salvation that they have, it doesn't, I don't care what they're doing, because there's a much broader range of things I never imagined. could happen that this generation is latched onto. So it doesn't really matter what the thing is in that list that they're doing or not doing. If you can't imagine them walking in the word, walking in their salvation, then what are you praying for? What are you planning for? So I said, you know what? If you want them walking in the word with you, start setting their place at the Shabbat table as if they're coming home. You don't think there was something in the prodigal son's heart that said, even though I may not have the status that I could have had, I know I can still go home. I know he'll still save a plate for me. Might be leftovers, but he'll save a plate for me. But you know what the father did? He's like, kill the fatted calf. We're not just saving a plate here. We're setting the table. Something in that son knew he was expected home. And if your children, your grandchildren, your loved ones, whoever it is that you're praying for right now, if they know you expect them home, doesn't that change it a little bit? If I know someone expects me to be in a certain place, I may not be there, but at least I know they're expecting me. (laughs) I may not show up that time, but there is something about someone's expectations that really does, it puts a little hook in your heart. And so you have to find ways to let them know, I have not given up on you. In fact, I can already see you in your right mind. I know you've lost your mind for now. I know you're pursuing other things. It doesn't matter what my natural eye sees or what my natural ear hears about. Yeah, you hear about it. You hear what they're doing. Doesn't matter. You don't think the prodigal son's father had heard what he was doing? Don't you think he wanted to run to him and rescue him out of that pig pen? But he knew that he had to pray him back because if he ran and rescued him out of that pig pen, he'd run right back to it when he's got his belly full. But what he needed was a belly full of pig food and knowing he was expected back. So we want to talk today about the revenge of the hen. We want to take it a step further than no place for chickens. I want to look at Matthew 23, 37, where Yeshua is 
speaking to Jerusalem, 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 how many times I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks. And I want to tie it into our Torah portion, which is Bamidbar, in the wilderness. And as Noel so graciously <laughs> helped us with the names in the, the opening part, it's a census of the names of the tribes for war. It's important that you call these names out in prayer. It's important. Call them by name. Who do you expect to see at the table? Who do you expect to see at the feast? The army of Israel, if you notice, it's not like other armies. It's not at all like them. They first have to pass muster. They have to go before the war priest. And the war priest is going to walk through the camp and he's going to ask some questions to see if you're fit to go to the front lines. Because if you're not, he's going to send you back home. The pattern of the Israelite armies is when they fall into serious sin, they lose. And they don't just lose, they get routed, they get shamed, they get completely destroyed. And so we don't want that. We want only the people on the front lines who are walking in the word. Because in times of war, there's actually an aspect, he's judging the whole nation at that at time of battle. The battle is a kind of a judgment. So the, the soldiers are asked a wife question, a wife question. Have you betrothed a wife but not married her? Go home. Have you built a house but not lived in it? Go home. Have you planted a vineyard but you've not eaten its fruit? Go home. Those seem to be disconnected, but they're actually the same thing. They're one thing. Because a man's house is sometimes a euphemism for his wife. A wise woman builds her house. And so the wife can often represent the work of the Holy Spirit in the family. If you follow that, that thread in workbook four of the Scarlet Harlot and the Crimson Thread, you see that thread of the Holy Spirit always trying to get the patriarchs back to the land, trying to get them back to their home. So they have an especial link, connection, not just with his house, but they also have a special link, I believe, with the house of prayer. How many of you know your mama's prayed for you? Would you be here if your mama wasn't praying for you? It's special. A mama's prayer is special. Not that a daddy's isn't, but a mama's prayer is special. So the vineyard, sometimes the wife is referred to as your wife will be like a vineyard. Right? Remember uh, Ahab coveting another man's vineyard. The subtext there is he was coveting another man's wife. And then weirdly, Jezebel helped him do it. So that was a strange partnership. <laughs> I know things were different back then, but your house, your vineyard, your wife, have you betrothed, but not married her? Go home. Because the, the message here is you're planning to fail. You know, war is coming. You can see it on the horizon. We can usually see the signs. Pearl Harbor wasn't as big a surprise as we think it was. There were already things in place. And so seeing the war on the horizon, this young man, he's built the house, but he did move in and he could have. He planted a vineyard, but he didn't eat any grapes. He could have. He's betrothed a wife. He could marry her, but he didn't. He doesn't think he'll be back. He knows in his mind, he's already planning all right. He's planning to lose. He is not envisioning the outcome in the battle of success. It's work in prayer. Sometimes when we don't feel like that's going to be the outcome, sometimes when we have a hard time believing that's going to be the outcome, how many times were the Israelites outnumbered badly in battle? Every single time. <laughs> but you know what? If they were walking with Adonai, 
It didn't matter how many went to battle as long as they were listening to their wives. But he's already given up. He says, I'm going to fall in battle. Somebody else is going to marry my wife anyway. They're going to move in my house. They're going to drink, you know, drink the wine from my vineyard. Why do it? And so these men had to go back home. They had to go back and probably they, they need to go ahead and marry their wives because their wives represent the work of the Ruach HaKodesh, the work of the Holy Spirit that's going to give them that spiritual vision. Proverbs 31 is a great example. The Proverbs 31 wife, it's a parable of the Holy Spirit, but it's embodied in a woman who is faithful over her house. And this is what we want, symbolized by the wife, but we want the the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, to implant in us that vision that we're having a hard time seeing for our family. And it doesn't have to be salvation. It can be poverty. You know, there's there's all sorts of tests that we're going to be presented with, and it might seem, you know what, we're just never going to make it anything but paycheck to paycheck. I, I don't know what your trouble is, but whatever your trouble is, the only solution is for you to start imagining that you will see the positive outcome to your prayer. Just measure it according to his word. Is that the prayer that Yeshua would pray? So if you're planning a desolate house, you will be rewarded with one. But if you're planning your wife to be a fruitful vine, your children to be like olive plants around your table, I don't know, maybe you should put some, if you don't set the table for a monk Shabbat and put an olive twig in the plate. I don't know what you need to do to see it, but you need to see it. And if you need to take a picture of their place and text it to them, we're expecting you. Are you expecting them in here? Take a picture of the seat you want to see them sitting in. You haven't given up on them. Remind them. I still see a positive outcome. I see you serving the father. Whatever it is you want, envision it. Is it according to his word? Check. All right. What can I start doing to show that I'm planning for this prayer to be answered? Because cowardice is cancerous. Cowardice spreads. How many times do people get on the phone, bring up one negative thing that's happened at work or that's happened at congregation or that's happened on the news? And that one comment all of a sudden just starts spreading all over the place. It's cancer. It's planning to fail. Just bringing up the negative things, it's planning to fail. And here's what, when the, the war priest goes before them and asks these questions, here's what it's preceded with in Deuteronomy 20, verse 3. He says, Hear, Israel, you are approaching the battle against your enemies today. When you go to him in prayer, it's a battle. Do not be faint-hearted. Do not be afraid or panic or tremble before them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. So what are the things standing in your way that can't just be mowed down by Adonai? Whenever he wants to, he can mow down your enemies. And see, if that soldier knew going into battle that yod heh himself was walking with him into that battle, wouldn't you rather have him by your side than a million-man army, than a whole air force? Then every missile ever manufactured on earth, would you not rather have his presence beside you in that battle? You could do it alone if his presence is with you. Go to prayer the same way. I don't care what's arrayed against my children. I don't care what's arrayed against my grandchildren. I don't care what's arrayed against my finances. I'm asking for his presence. He said he would walk with me in this battle, and I know he's here, and I know the enemy can't take me down. I might have to fight a while. I might get tired, I might get thirsty, I might get hungry, 
It doesn't matter if his presence is with me. See, if you couldn't go forward in confidence after that right there, you are hopeless. There's no hope. Go home. <laughs> Let somebody else pray for it. <laughs> you know, they say, I can't pray for this. Could you pray for me? What did the, the one man, he said, help my unbelief. Make me want to want to. Sometimes that's the best we can do in prayer. Make me want to want to. Here's what Yeshua says, Matthew 23, 20, uh, 37. A Jerusalem, Jerusalem who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. They couldn't see it. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. You're planning for it? Okay. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, you are expecting heavenly help. So there's two things we can take away from that, from that particular passage, because he specifically says like a, a mother bird. I wanted to gather you like a mother bird. The first mention we have of something like that is in Genesis 1-2, where it says the, the spirit of Elohim was hovering over the surface of the waters. That word in Hebrew is merechefet, and it actually is a type of action. If you've ever seen a mother hen do this, she sees some danger. You're walking into the yard. She doesn't trust you. She'll start beating those wings violently. It's not just a little, it's not that. She's banging, telling those chicks, get up under here. It's a violent move of the spirit. What enemy could stand up to that? But see, if we don't respond to it, see that the, we hear the footsteps of Messiah. What the rest of the earth hears is four horsemen. We hear salvation. We hear redemption. They hear tribulation. I'm sick of hearing believers hear tribulation instead of redemption. And then it takes us to Deuteronomy 22.6, which remember, this is the tour of the hen and the chicks. And there's an assurance there. If the chicks will stay under their mother's wings or in the nest where she is, you are not allowed to separate the two of them. You cannot take the chick. You can't take it from under the mother. And so what is Yeshua saying? If you would just come when I call you, if you would gather at these appointed times, O Jerusalem, what is Jerusalem for if not for the feasts? Where else do you go unless you're in exile? So those who would not come under the wings of the Ruach HaKodesh, under the wings of Yeshua, they're vulnerable. Now the enemy can take them. All he has to do is see you too far from the work of the Holy Spirit and just gotcha. But you know those smart chicks, they're up under mama. All you can see is their little legs. They're a little beak sticking out. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you got this, Yeshua? <laughs> and, and this is what the, the Jewish sages say, that, that that spirit hovering over the surface of the waters was the spirit of Messiah. And because of his obedience, even before he was incarnate, where we could see him, chaos came out of disorder. I mean, disorder came out of chaos. Amen. Light came out of darkness. So when we're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, we're walking in the same spirit of the creation that called order out of chaos and light out of darkness. You feel like I'm walking with people who are in such blind confusion. It's got to be supernatural. These are like the Sodomites and the Egyptians wandering around in the dark, can't see a thing. And I can see fine. Well, they're going to run into you and blame you, number one, <laughs> because it's a supernatural darkness. It's, it's not a darkness of this world. And the more confused you see people being about, you fill in the blank. All the things they're confused about today, it's supernatural. They're away from Yeshua. They're away from the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And then again, drawing them to the nest, remember the, the tradition is that King Messiah's palace was actually located in the Garden of Eden, and it was called Kansipur, Kansipur, which means bird nest. So what is Yeshua telling them? I can resurrect you. Stick with me. I am the resurrection and life. Get up under my wings. I can bring you back into, I can bring you to my palace in the Garden of Eden. I can give you a body at the resurrection that will endure in the Garden of Eden. You will live forever. You will have eternal life. And are they not coming because he doesn't want them to come? They're coming because they can't see it. They don't want it. It's Messiah's job to gather the father's chicks back into the garden, to minister this word to them so that they can be restored to their original habitat. This is not our original habitat. There is a spiritual side of us that is so concealed right now that it's hard to even envision that the Garden of Eden is not that far away, even though clearly in scripture, it's very close, at least definitely if you're standing in the land itself. But we've got these obstinate chicks. He's not going to come back for an army of cowards. He won't. He's coming back for an army of prayer warriors. Look at Moses. In the battle, he gets tired. What do you do when you get tired? You call for the elders who can pray those effectual fervent prayers. You call for the Aaron's and the Hur's. You call for the Abraham's and the Sarah's. What did they need? Avimelech needed healing. Everybody had gone barren. They quit conceiving children because he took Sarah into his harem. And he says, you get Abraham to pray for you, you'll be healed. Your whole household will be healed. So you find those righteous men and women to pray for you. And just like Aaron and Hur, they, Moses sat on a rock. He couldn't stand up anymore. What do they do? They just held his hands up. You find those people who can pray with the vision that you need. And you keep listening to them pray with the vision that you need. Because what grief will do, it will prevent you from seeing a positive outcome. When you are grief-ridden, when you are depressed, when you are low, you have a hard time because the energy is all there. Your brain has got to move that energy to a different place to see into the future. And this is what these people can do. They can pray with confidence. They can pray with boldness. Yes, I see your child coming home. I don't care how many years he's got on his sentence. He can be saved, be saved sitting right where he is in that prison. He can be saved sitting right there where he is in that rehab. He can be saved in his car. You can enter into that car and just envelop him and enclose him. He can find our loved ones anywhere they are. We have to not despair. And I think part of this despair that, that is prevalent, I don't know if we call it Hebrew roots, Torah observance, I don't know what, but it, sometimes it's like, who died? Where's the joy? Where's the glory of the goodness that we experience every day? And I think it's because our attention is diverted over to the negative outcomes. We see a government gone wild. We see gender gone wild. We see everything that we thought was firm and established by scripture is being tested right now. And we want to focus. And so we're, we're so fascinated by these systems that the Roman beast inherited from Greece. Remember the leopard spots? As you go back in the Hebrew, it's systems. All the systems, art, literature, music, sports, philosophy, education, politics, all that, Rome just took it and made it bigger. And then they passed it on to the world. They, they passed it down to the toes, right? And so we're so busy looking at how infested and cancerous all these systems are. We've become fascinated with it because we do have the internet. And all of a sudden, at the end of the day, we're more immersed in the latest crazy thing that happened 
than the latest truthful word we could have just read. So he's coming back for people who are not immersed and educated in conspiracy theories in the current news cycle. That'll change tomorrow. Do you want to engage in the fresh steaming pile of the news cycle and all the conspiracies that are out there, whether they're true or untrue? Or do you want to immerse yourself in the word that's going to conquer every one of them? Are you going to make yourself a strong prayer warrior who can envision the spirit of Messiah just wiping that stuff out in a single what does it say? They just start running. It's what Revelation is. They start trying to hide in rocks and caves and holes in the ground. They're going to hear footsteps and just run away, which is what would have happened to an Israelite army if they had believed in the word. It doesn't matter if Babylon and Egypt are embedded even within the holy city today. It doesn't matter. When you go to the holy city today, you envision it under King Messiah's rule. We need saturation in the living word. Because when we get saturated in the living word, we're going to listen when he calls the chicks back to Jerusalem. He doesn't call them anywhere else but to Jerusalem. So how can we do that? If we're all scattered out there in this wilderness of the peoples, it's called the wilderness of the peoples, the wilderness of Egypt. How are we going to gather? Shabbat? Is that one way we gather? Is that one way he gathers his chicks into his spirit? How about the Moedim? So he's given us ways to keep doing that, even if we're not in Jerusalem. We can still gather according to his word. And since Shavuot's coming up next week, how were they praying in Acts chapter 2? Like nothing would, you know, out of the ordinary was going to happen. Yeshua's gone. Nothing good's going to happen for 2,000 years now. Mm -mm. That is not how they were praying. Men and women gathered together, and all of a sudden, fire comes down. Cloven tongues of fire. They were expecting something to happen. I don't know if they knew exactly what would happen, but I bet they knew it would have something to do with Mount Sinai and Shavuot. They didn't know exactly how that would look, but how many years had each of them said things like, this is what happened to me when I came out of Egypt. I was standing at the foot of Sinai, and therefore every Shavuot, when we approached that day, we're in that same place. I was the one that came out of Egypt. I was the one that was standing at the foot of Mount Sinai, and I saw the fire. I saw the voice. I saw these cloven tongues of fire going all around. I saw it. I don't remember it, but I saw it. And you expect to see it again. When you approach these feasts, what do you expect to see? What do you plan to see? If you're not planning, you're not expecting. The best day to start planning your next feast is the day after the last one. It says, I plan to see something at this next feast. And that's exactly what Yeshua told his disciples. He said, you go to Jerusalem and you wait there. Do not leave. Expect something to happen exactly where it's supposed to happen. We have to expect the word to be fulfilled exactly the way he says it will be, not our way. How many of those in Acts chapter Acts chapter 2 do you think died a martyr's death? Probably most of them. Do you think they cared? Even if they envisioned that, do you think after Acts chapter 2 they cared a bit about it? The change in an army, isn't it? The ones who were going to go home went home. Remember when Yeshua said, are you going to leave me too? He says, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? Are we going to go to the news cycle and pray according to that? Because the news is going to tell you the world's going to change and who's going to, what was what they say? The earth's going to burn up in how many years? <laughs> 12 years or something? It might, but it won't be because of climate change. <laughs> it's going to be because heaven changed the climate. <laughs> you want to save the climate? Start praying. Start obeying. That's how you change it. Because if we will enter into these feasts, if we will enter into our Shabbats with expectation that something's going to happen, that light is going to come out of a darkness, somebody's going to come in with a testimony and say, he just pulled light out of my darkness. 
somebody's going to come in and say, he just pulled order out of this chaos. How did he do it? We prayed. He's going to start calling forth courage out of discouragement. And when King Messiah returns, things will be much different. It's not going to be like a little chicken with her chicks. He uses that analogy to gather us in, to remind us we do have a father who cares about us. We do have the Holy Spirit who will gather us, who will teach us, who will lead us, who will protect us. But when Messiah returns, remember, it's not for a coward army. He has a way of dealing with the cowards. We know, according to Revelation, he's going to take vengeance on the wicked. We also know that the lukewarm are in question. The the rabbis call them intermediates. Yeshua calls them lukewarm and revelation. And what they have done, they have disregarded his sacrifice. If you disregard his sacrifice, you will be a coward in prayer. You will fall back on your own ability. You will fall back on the systems that are set up. You'll lean too hard on politics. You'll lean too hard on government. You'll lean too hard on the military. You'll lean too hard on sports. You'll lean too hard on modern medicine, and you'll forget the healer. You'll forget Adonai Sevaot, the Lord of Armies. You'll forget he's the king. And so we we have to start putting these things where they belong. We're in the world. We need to pray for the world. And we need to pray. And I know this sounds like the craziest thing I've ever said. We need to envision our politicians serving Adonai. We don't need to pass along the latest, greatest snafu, how they acted like buffoons, how they acted, because they're going to do that every day. That's not really news. Not anymore. We got to start envisioning them in prayer. Father, draw them to you. Father, break the confusion. Father, pull light out of darkness in their minds. And until Yeshua comes, that's a proper prayer to pray, because he is going to execute justice upon the peoples. The very place, Laodicea, the seventh assembly, it means the justice of the peoples. This is where he mentions the lukewarm. So it doesn't matter if you're a Jewish lukewarm or if you're among the nations lukewarm. This is a house of prayer for all nations. If we have been lukewarm as it pertains to our relationship with Yeshua and his word, things will get very difficult at that time. We've got soldier servants going back to the time of Cain and Abel who shed their blood because they believed the word. That blood has to be avenged according to Revelation. Would I do it that way? I don't know. It doesn't matter what I would do. It matters what he says he will do. And we know that every one of those souls is crying out from under the altar, how long, oh Lord, until you avenge us. He will avenge. Why is he so slow to do it? He doesn't want anybody to perish in sin. He's waiting for us to do our jobs, preach his word, teach repentance, teach what sin is. Most people, they don't think they sin anymore because they don't know what sin is. Preach sin, preach repentance preach discipleship, because justice will be executed upon this earth. When those burnished bronze footsteps start hammering across the mountains, it's going to be too late for some people, because they have gone so deep into their own darkness, they won't be able to come out. But we can salvage the lukewarm, which is most people, I think. And if we look at the Passover Seder, remember there's a a place where we're calling out the 10 plagues, And we'll take a finger and we'll dip it into the the cup of wine or grape juice. And then as the person calls out the plague, we'll repeat it and we'll dash it into the plate. Well, in older versions of this, what you had was the leader who would have a bowl in front of him. And as they called out each plague, those who were attending the Seder, as he dashes the, the drop of wine 
and then a drop of the water into the bowl, they will pronounce judgment upon a particular enemy of Israel, which is an enemy of heaven, like wicked Haman, may his name be blotted out. Boom. Amalek. Boom. You see what's happening? That's prophecy. When you do the Passover Seder, it is prophecy. You are acting it out the way it will happen. So you've got the water, you've got the wine of wrath going into the bowl. And what did Yeshua say? I have trod this alone. Nobody's helping me. I'm doing it alone. And then when this bowl has all these judgments in it, every one of those judgments in Egypt falls in Revelation as well. Somebody called the Shamash, which is a servant. He will take that bowl, he'll go outside with it, and then he'll pour it into the earth. Sound familiar? Sound like seven angels you've heard of? Wrath is coming. When Yeshua comes, it's going to be to execute the wrath of the Lamb. I don't want anybody to be subject to that. But we have to look at what are we doing to plan to imagine people being saved from that wrath. What if they are out there in that lukewarm category at that Rosh Hashanah, whenever the trumpet sounds, at the resurrection? Is it still over for them? They've got 10 days, don't they? 10 terrible days. It's going to be tough. But if they will cry out and they will repent, they've still got 10 days till the decrees are sealed at the conclusion of Yom Kippur. Do you see how he is grace after grace after grace after grace? Time after time after time, he's trying to exercise this loving kindness, this graciousness, because after all, we're his creation. If you create something, if you build something, if you paint something, if you write music, do you go to your own creation and just, I don't want that anymore. I don't like it. I'll build something better, <laughs> which is kind of what he told Moses. <laughs> Moses, I'll, I'll make something out of you. Let's get rid of these. And then Moses showed us his heart. He didn't want to do that. The Torah doesn't want to do that. So we've got the wrath of the lamb coming, the wrath of the Passover lamb that is coming, and it's going to be upon those who rebel against his salvation and his kingship. And if we look at the blood and the water that flowed out of Yeshua's side on the tree, he took all that wrath on himself. He took the blood and the water and then it just poured out on the ground. Do people know how much he gave for them? We need to keep reminding them. You know, I grew up listening to the salvation message, and I still forget it sometimes. I still forget what it means in my life, and I still take it for granted. We have to keep preaching his salvation, that he poured out the blood and the water. He poured, he took every bit of that wrath on himself, so we wouldn't have to. When he comes back, he won't do that. There's an end date. There will be an accounting. There will be a judgment, and there will be footsteps. So we've, on the cross even, we could see the two choices. We've got one who just wants to curse God and die, basically. But on the other side, you have a thief who is repentant. He knows he's done wrong. And he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He knows he doesn't deserve anything. Remember me. He could envision. Do you hear the prayer in that? He's talking to Yeshua. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. There's an expectation. He is planning for Yeshua to resurrect. Even on a cross, he's looking at this man who has been beaten to his unrecognizable. And he knows he didn't do anything wrong. Everybody knows he didn't do anything wrong. And you could be like the other guy, say, well, you know, if you truly were the Messiah, get us down off of here. He says, no, just remember me. I'm planning for you to resurrect. This guy over here had no expectation of resurrection. This one did. So there's two things in that Passover Seder that we say that I think are particularly prophetic. We say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we say, next year in Jerusalem. Do you hear the expectation in that prayer? 
You're praying the great Hallel when you say that. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's because you expect Yeshua will come back. If we expect he will be back, then we will behave as though he's coming back. You wait till your daddy gets home. Have you ever said that? <laughs> or are you daddy? <laughs> like, oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we have to gather at these feasts. They are prophetic. They are teaching us how to prepare for the positive outcome. There's some things in there. I can't do them all. But just a few bullet points you'll remember. In the great Hallel, we say, precious in the eyes of Adonai is the death of his righteous ones. In Revelation, we hear those very souls crying out from under the altar. When he comes back, he's going to be upset about his kids. If you somebody saw somebody smack your kids around in front of you, would you be upset? We've been smacked around since Cain and Abel. How many souls are under that altar? How many souls are out there today? I can think of a bunch over in Africa right now who are suffering because they keep the Torah and they're not like every other Christian in their community. Being taken to the judge time after time. They're teaching heresy. They actually have to go to a judge. Well, no, it's actually in the Bible. No, it's heresy. Nobody's done that to us yet except on Facebook. And who cares about Facebook, right? When we die for him, whether we die every day or whether it's that ultimate crossing over, we are precious. When we die, that soul is precious to him. And he is our daddy, and he is going to come looking for somebody who made his baby suffer. We say, my vows to Adonai, I will pay in the presence of his entire people in the courtyards of the house of Adonai in your midst, O Jerusalem. Hallelujah. What vows do we pay? What did you promise to do? Did you say, I will do and I will hear? Did you make him a promise? Well, you're supposed to pay it in his house, at, his, at the place where we gather. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then it says, in famine, you nourished us. In plenty, you supported us. From the sword, you saved us. From the plague, midavel, you let us escape. And you spared us from severe and enduring diseases. Everything those four horses bring out, he saved us from. Why would you say it if you didn't believe it? But we sound like we believe more in the horsemen than we believe in his word. Midavel, the plague. You know that's a play on word with devar which is the word, the word of Adonai. It's a contronym. You disobey the word, you get the dever, which is the plague on a beast. It's not accidental that the beast is in revelation, but the plague is for the beast. So when we see them coming out with judgments of famine, sword, plague, when we see the seven bowls of wrath, you have to enter into prayer with courage. With the same joy, you pray that great Hillel at the end of the Seder. And sometimes it's just like, I'm so tired. I'm happy. <laughs> it's almost over. <laughs> but with the same joy and expectation. And do you hear when you do the, the great Hillel with a large group of people, how it builds? And it's like when you get to his mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures. And all of a sudden, by the time you get to the end, it just fills the building. Because we expect to receive his mercy and tribulation. And so as we approach Shavuot, we need to approach with that same great hallelujah. What do we expect him to do? It's going to be like a Shavuot past. It's going to be like Mount Sinai. It's going to be like Acts chapter two. I don't know what special thing he's going to pour out on us, but if you don't expect it, you won't get it. That's how he works. He has sealed you in his Torah. That's what it says in Isaiah 8, 16. Bind up the testimony, seal the Torah among my disciples. You are sealed. It's up to us not to peel it off. And like I said, what if we've got lukewarm people who don't make the first resurrection, which is actually not the first. Yeshua's is the first, but 
There is a first resurrection. What if they don't make it? We have to give them enough information they can repent during that 10-day period. We have to have the courage to keep praying for the lost. We have to have the courage to keep praying for our wandering loved ones because there is good news about judgment. And you say, you know what? I've prayed a thousand times for this and nothing happened. Clock's running out. I've been praying for great uncle so-and-so when he's 99 years old. <laughs> Time's running out. <laughs> Maybe it isn't. In the Mishnah, and it, it, you can find a lot more good stuff if you go to Rosh Hashanah uh, 16, which there's, there's different subsections of that. But just to remind you, we're judged at four times a year. On Passover, we're judged concerning the grain. On Shavuot, we're judged concerning the growth of the tree. How much will you grow spiritually between this Shavuot and the next? On Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets, all creatures pass before him like sheep. As it is stated, he who fashions their hearts alike, who considers all their deeds, Psalm 33:15. And on the festival of Sukkot, they are judged concerning water, that is the rainfall of the coming year. That was already settled back at Sukkot, how much rain we would get today. But until the resurrection of the dead, at Rosh Hashanah, it's not too late. We know there's a separation. Scripture teaches us that. We know that there is a first resurrection of the righteous, that they will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and they, they're going to be there with him forever. But there's going to be a lot of people who fall into that category of lukewarmness or intermediacy. That's why we need to leave them enough information. So we keep praying for them. Because maybe the prayer won't be answered before the first resurrection, but what if the prayer is answered during that 10 days? Are we still happy? Yes. Even if they didn't make the first resurrection, if they repent, it's possible they just keep kind of floating up there. I don't know what happens during that 10 days. I can't tell you. I don't know if they have to wait till the second resurrection. But we know they will be judged favorably if they repent during that 10 days. The wicked, they're just wicked. There's not much we can do for them, but don't assume that they're just wicked and not lukewarm because so, so many people are wounded, offended, afraid, and they're acting out of fear. Just assume there's hope, plan on their salvation, and it'll be up to Yeshua to decide whether they're hopeless or not. We don't make his list for him. We're going to pray every day, and here's why. As we, we continue the examples we have from the Talmud, where they're quoting scripture, it says uh, to make the judgment of his servant and the judgment of his people, Israel, at all times, as each day may require, 1 Kings 8.59, which indicates the entire world is judged every day. There's a judgment every day. You can pray every day for a favorable judgment. A person is judged every day, not just once a year, as is stated, you visit him every morning. Job 7.18, meaning that every morning an accounting is made and a judgment is passed. We had a census today of the, the soldiers. Well, in the kingdom, every morning there's a, an accounting. He's counting you every morning when you get up. A person is judged every hour, as it is stated. You try him every moment. Job 7.18. When is a bad time to pray for someone? Never. Every moment you could receive a different judgment. Every morning you have a new opportunity to suit up for this battle of intercession because something could have changed between the last time you prayed and this time you prayed. And it could be on this morning your request can be granted. 
in the way that you envision it. Lamentations 321, it says, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses, his chesed. Do you hear how many times you say that in the first two benedictions of the Amidah? Indeed, never cease for his compassions, his racham, never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It's never a bad day to pray. Even Moses interceded for Israel, who like the second he turned his back, they're building a golden calf. He intercedes. He still sees a positive outcome, no matter what they did. And he says, you got to show me this, Father. I've got to be able to see this in you. You've got to give me courage to go forth. In Exodus 33, 19, he said, I will make myself, I will make, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious, chanoti, chanoti, it comes from chen, to whom I will be gracious, achon, same, chen. And I will show compassion, racham, on whom I will show compassion, racham. Chanoti and achon are both forms of chen. So all you have to do is say, Hen plus phlegm. Hen. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll interchange. In English, they'll say graciousness, loving kindness, but they'll use it for chesed. They'll use it for chen. Uh, and then sometimes they'll mix it in there with racham, compassion, which tells you really they're just three little chicks in the same nest. There's little differences among them, but these qualities of chen, chesed, and racham the mercy, the loving kindness, the compassion, they're so close in meaning that they're often prayed together. And there can be favorable times. There can be times that are more favorable. There is never a bad time to pray. The gates of repentance are always open. But what if you're not repenting? What if you just have a need? It's like, I'm not not being answered. I'm not being answered. He's never going to give me this. Psalm 69, 13 says, as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time. O God, in the greatness of your loving kindness, Answer me with your saving truth. Sometimes there's more acceptable times to pray for what you're asking. The feasts are wonderful times to send up those prayers. The Shabbat is an excellent time to send up those prayers. In fact, ladies, when you light the candles and you do your little extra prayer at the end of the blessing, that's when it's thought that you truly have his ear, that you're right up in the ear at that Point. So whatever you most desperately need, that's when you whisper that in his ear. So until there is a final sealing of judgments, there's little judgments every day. And so you can petition every single day for a different judgment. He might have said no yesterday. Doesn't mean he'll say no today. He even gave us the grace period of the 10 terrible days. <laughs> Sounds terrible, but it's actually a grace period. So we know Yeshua is going to come for the righteous chicks of Jerusalem. He's going to come with wrath. Yes. He's going to come with revenge. Yes. But until then, he's interceding for us. How many times has he prayed prayers over us and we were stubborn? How many times has he prayed for us and we took our own routes because we thought that was where we needed to go? And he's like, Father, please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. (laughs) They took the wrong road again, but he just keeps interceding for us and beating those wings of the Spirit so we can hear Him. See, when we don't hear Him, sometimes it's because we're not listening. We're doing all the talking. We don't want to be poured out like blood and water in His wrath. We want to be those intercessors like Yeshua. We want to be courageous soldiers who are planning to win. Because if we win, that means Yeshua won. 
You have to imagine your prayers answered. So just plan. Start planning practically what you're going to do when that prayer is answered. Need a new car? Does yours have 195,000 miles on it? (laughs) You have to start envisioning it sitting in your garage. Do you have room in your garage for that new car? And I'm not talking about name it and claim it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just doing what prayer requires, imagining, envisioning a positive outcome. So how can we pray like soldiers of Jerusalem? I just put one together. Please, Father, if you have a new mercy, a new loving kindness, a new compassion for me this morning, then graciously judge my petition and gather my children and my loved ones into the nest of Messiah Yeshua. And may they continue to serve you in the congregation of the righteous. Because there's no chickens in the house of prayer. Thank you for exploring the Torah portion with us. information on this ministry, go to thecreationgospel.com. You can find links there for our newsletter, books, workbooks, Facebook, and our YouTube channel.